Well, here we are again, and I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. My name is Phyllis, and I am the host of this evening's podcast. Wow, what a show. And as per usual, we remember day by day that the heavens declare the glory of God, that the firmament shows forth his handiwork, Day unto day utter speech and night unto night shows knowledge. This evening I want to emphasize also in Psalm 19, which I have quoted from, the fact that in the same Psalm it is written, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. We have for the last four weeks or four sessions minus one, when I filled in, been uh, just absolutely privileged to hear from Anna Kane, who gave us uh, the rendering of her work and research in the novel by Charlotte Bronte, Jane Eyre, the cultivation of the character of Jane Eyre, as written there by Miss Bronte. Now, the thing also is that um, not only did she, I mean, she's done an excellent job, but she has also pointed out stuff that we really need to recall as the reborn children of God, right? Um, and, and how that transformation is evident when it happens. We know it, we know it by our own knowing, but others know it as they observe and watch us. And uh, Ada brought out in our last presentation the fact that Jane's influence on the character Rochester made a difference in his own life. That is tremendously wonderful. Um, we left off with the very statement that when you live as the reborn creature that God has made you, your life is influencing someone else's. You make impact on other people, and that is extremely important. And we want to remember that. So I pulled up the novel today because um, Anna is a, you know, she well, she works at a, at a university. She teaches both a class, or I think she teaches one class, but she also coordinates and uh, works in a program that prepares students uh, who are going to sit for the teacher's exam, I think it they, she prepared, you know, she does this work there as well. And so her life gets a little crowded and she needs sometimes not to be uh, called upon, as I like to call upon her. However, um, we have the impact of what she has done over the last couple of uh, weeks because it has been tremendously wonderful. And I am just going to kind of pinch hit for her. I don't feel... Uh, or I know I'm not in any way <laughs> as uh, skilled at this as she is because this was her work. She did the research and, you know, she has done all of this writing. And um, so she comes as a scholar in this way. And so I am not that scholar, uh, but there were some points that I picked up on and I would like to really expound upon as well because they are a part of how we become more acquainted with the Lord and with what we have received through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is salvation. Um, the, the salvation is amazing. So last week she mentioned the sixth chapter of Romans and when she did that, I really was overtaken a bit because that chapter is very significant in my own life. I used to have a small Bible, 
And that Bible was um, one that I took notes in. It was it was almost like I had paraphrased the whole thing. You know how you read your Bible and you put notes in the margins and you underscore and you put red letters on and all this stuff that you write because you're learning, you're learning, you're learning. Good evening, Tony. It is so good to see you. And I misplaced the Bible. But if you could see that Bible, I probably left it at my mom's or something like that through the years as I was visiting back and forth. I used to carry that little Bible with me everywhere. It was probably the first Bible I ever purchased for myself. My home had many Bibles in it, but um, I probably you know, bought that one. I did. It was a little $5 Bible or something like that. But it had great, great meaning for me because I had really been... Um, kind of deepened. I had been uh, with Christ in a season and my Bible reading had taken new depths, you know, so I I was learning so much more and and I would use the Bible to uh, record my thoughts. It was rather like my (laughs) journal, (laughs) excuse me. Uh, But nonetheless, I misplaced it. And uh, I, I was sorrowful because that Bible contained that moment in time when Romans 6, those notes that I made there, Romans, the sixth chapter, was my deliverance from um, a, well, from something that I was actually um invited to do. I was I was actually advised to do it by the doctors who were tending me at the time. And as I told you before, I was carrying uh, my third child. And it was the third cesarean that I was going to have. And I was, you know, my children were born during the season when cesareans were um, not the norm of the day. Many people now elect to have a cesarean section. I don't know why, but anyway... um, I was uh, told and warned because I could not deliver my children in the normal way that uh, women do. So if it hadn't been for for the cesarean, I really would have died because I literally could not deliver uh, a, a baby in the normal way. So the that was my you know that was my uh, salvation, so to speak. So um, the doctors who were tending me during that pregnancy had me going to the clinic every two weeks. Can you imagine that, going to a clinic every two weeks for the you know the duration of a pregnancy <laughs> from the third month when you find out that, you know, you, that's when you really have to kind of pick up and start going. And then from there, now I'm just going to the doctor all the time. Um, so I was advised, however, not to carry that child full term because of the stretch of the uterine wall and it had been weakened by the previous surgeries and you know that that I had had to endure to have this child and I I've never like I, I've mentioned it before but I don't ever I've never used this as a part of my testimony and yet it is probably the most glowing aspect of God's transformation in me, right? And it parallels with what Anna was telling us last week about the transformation, how Jane's transformation was progressive. Over time, we see her grow from a child into an adult and having uh, taken real serious uh, look or, or observation or whatever to become the Christian. So we see Excuse me, we see her walking into um, a deeper understanding of her relationship with God. Whereas with Rochester, the man that she eventually marries, his is um, a, a little less progressive. In, in, in other words, it didn't happen over the, the uh, course of his lifetime. It happened in a shorter span of time. It happened as a result of a great trauma, both to his um, physical uh, health and to uh, events that had taken place around his life. She did such a wonderful job last week of, of giving us 
the significance of that burned down house and how it represented the old man and everything that he had um, experienced and done and suffered in that old house. And now he's in a less glamorous ex uh, you know, existence, uh, abode, where the parties are not there, the you know the glamour is not there, the servants are not there. He's let most of them go, and uh, he himself is in a very um, deepened and despondency. He's had to consider so much. He's had to come become um, accustomed to a very, very, very different life. Good evening, Shrees. I'm so glad that you're here. Help me out, guys. If you want, please do write, whatever. So she referenced this sixth chapter of Romans. And um, I went back, of course, and, and read through it. And I thought I needed, you know, a little background. Romans is an, is an exceptional book to study and to read. It reminds me of the book of Isaiah. And when you read Isaiah as one of the prophetic books, it is a it's just like a, a constant swirl and ascent toward the magnificence and the glory of God, even though it is a book that prophesies um, some hard stuff for Israel, but it prophesies the gloriousness of Jesus Christ coming to the earth. And so you, you just feel with hope and expectation as you read through the lots of verses that you'd like to put to memory. Romans is also like that for me when I read through it. And so I decided that I won't try to read through it to make my points tonight, but rather I would just kind of focus in on uh, the the sixth chapter. And I don't kind of want to read it because I think it's one of those books that I would love to tackle uh, over the course of a month of reading or maybe two months because some of the chapters are rather long and really, really break it open. It is a book that Paul writes to the Roman church, which was filled with a um, with the a congregation that was multi-ethnic and they were divided. They they were divided because the Jews were there, but there were also Gentiles. And the division had to do with how they were going to, you know, actually uh, create this church. It would be based in the uh, Jewish law and traditions, or would it be the new thing that the Gentiles had never been a part of the Jewish law. You know, they didn't know of that. They didn't kind of want to be a part of all of that. And I'm I'm just really quickly going through some things that I, you know, learned about it. But um, so Paul is writing this letter and it's a sweeping, wonderful, glorious ascent towards the ultimate goal that God has for redeeming a people and that people becoming the new humanity, the new as it is Israel, the ultimate fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that his seed would be what? Greater than, the, the more numerous than the stars in the sky, the sands on the shore. God is engrafting and bringing all people into this family, this humanity, this new humanity that he through Jesus Christ is making possible and he he will bring you in and raise you up to be like Jesus Christ we watch the life of Christ we know the beauty of such a life that is in uh sacrifice showing love to the whole world even at the cost of his own life, but then being raised again from the dead, never to die again, death having no more dominion over him. And those who come in by him to God have the same privilege. It is a wonderful, high and mighty uh, thought just that I could be the redeemed of God and enjoy the eternal beauty of, first of all, being free from the burden and the law of sin and to live forever in his presence and in communion, total communion 
with others who have a like salvation. So the, the, the story of Jane Eyre, I particularly love it because through these characters, we learn so much that is common to the flaws of men, that is common in the salvation and the bringing God, the way God brings us to himself and then raises us up, right? And to the inheritance that comes through Jesus Christ and through the acceptance of salvation in God to eternal life and the benefits, of course, that come with that. So that's kind of what I want to do tonight, whether I do it well or not is a whole different story, but that is the purpose. And I am simply pinch hitting. I can't wait for Anna to come and wrap it all up. She's going to provide for us a look at the salvation of Rochester and um, and how through, through his uh, sufferings, he was established in God. And then what befalls you when you do it God's way, right? So I'm going to read some of Romans 6. And, you know, when the Lord stops me, I'll stop. But good evening, Teeny. Good evening, Light Touch. Oh, wow. Thank you, guys. Write your thoughts. Every one of you, please write your thoughts. Remember, Anna touched on these themes that are in this book. And the first one was rejection. I really wanted to do that one. And maybe in the future, I will. Because rejection, again, is one of those um experiences that uh, I know personally, but through the lives of people, finally, when you come to Christ, you may experience rejection from the world. You may experience rejection within your own family. You may experience rejection from a spouse or a child or a loved one because you become so very different. And your mindset and your uh, way of, of living really is, is drastically changed. So she talked about rejection. Uh, she also mentioned the theme of temptation. And she gave us two viewpoints of that. One from the point of view of the fulfilling a desire within the flesh, the lustful desire. The other was fulfilling what looks like a godly desire, but out of the will of God, which I find absolutely fascinating as we uh, are members of churches and you may have, I don't know, sat in a pew and heard some things that sounded very noble and lofty, but not quite what you think the Lord would have you do. And yet you may have been greatly encouraged to do it. And and when we do those things that are outside of God's will and his call, you are you're really outside of God's will. And it doesn't matter how noble and lofty and wonderful sounding it is. It is not for you or for me if God has not ordained it to be the good works that we do in him. Right. So she told us about those two temptations. And then she added to this uh, a theme of salvation. And, uh, oh, it was just what she, what she did there is wonderful. I want to add to this salvation theme, love. And, and I don't do a good job of it. You know, every time I talk about love, I feel very inadequate and, and I know that I've missed a whole lot, but I'm going to try uh, to fill it in. However, I'm not going to talk about love as we read it in Corinthians. You know, love just doesn't do any, you know, that beautiful love is, um, it doesn't vaunt itself and, you know, it's not proud and it doesn't uh, do all that. That's not the love which that is the ultimate love. I mean, that's what love is, right? But um, I'm going to talk about it from the point of view of what happens when we are transformed in Christ, how we see the, the many ways that we ourselves have been unloving 
and have used our own uh, sights and, and, and wants and desires to bring people and manipulate them into being who we want them to be or being in relationship with us in the way that we want them to be in relationship with us or seeking out uh, the, the satisfaction of our own, uh, you know, earthly desires. So we call it, of course, the flesh. How we fulfill the lust of our uh, minds and our desires when we are in an ungenerate, unregenerated state. That thing that happens when you are transformed in Christ is the the living out of the life of God in you. And God is love. Therefore, you now or we now operate in a love that is not recognizable from the other side of that fence. We do not respond in general in the same way to any situation, even when you are angered or upset or whatever you are, there is a restraint now that keeps us from moving fleshly. And if you do, you repent real fast because the Holy Spirit is right on top of you, right? But moving spiritually into, a, you know, the, the, a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice in yourself, but it's not one that feels like you are sacrificing. You don't kind of, you know, have this sense that, oh my, I have to give it. It's not burdensome. It's That is the love that I am talking about. When Anna talked about Rochester, once he saw Jane again, he ends up telling her how sorry he was to offer her that, uh, what is it, lust feel a solution to them not being able to be married because he was already married. And Jane then moving away, but when she comes back, he says, love is far more superior to everything. We are all here because of the love of God through Jesus Christ. And that is precisely real. And what does happen to this man? The man, once his transformation has has come upon him and he sees Jane again. He's so grateful. He really is. But he, he repents to Jane that had, he, he was sorry that he had offered her that um, temporary solution, that, that lust feel solution. Let's just go off and live together, even as brother and sister with all that temptation. That's what he was saying to her. And, you know, we can't, we can't marry because I am married already, but we could do this other thing. We can leave this place. We can go to, uh, I think he had a, a villa uh, in Greece or something like that. And he wanted her to come and live with him, right? She would not do that. But when she returns, he admits that had she taken that offer, he would have injured her. Now, I want you to listen to the, this to, to the men out there, um, men. Love moves your heart. So when you find a woman that you are um, wanting to, if is your reach to her, how do you invite her into a relationship that does not injure her, right? I was um, thinking on this for some reason over the last few days, and I didn't know Anna wasn't coming, but it was on my mind how few men really love a woman because they will offer the woman an entry into a relationship through the lust of the flesh. And women don't really love themselves or the man enough to understand that that is not a pure relationship. The purity of that relationship is lost because we are not fulfilling 
what love is, which God is love. God is love, right? And he who loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That's what's written in the book of John, not the gospel. It was first, second, or third John, right? I don't know which one. But so we don't or have have no understanding. But through these characters, we see what the purity of love brings forth. Okay, so Jane rejects it. She totally rejects it. She she she, she leaves right, and it's only by the uh, supernatural uh, hearing. I think maybe two years later or something that she returns. At which point now the man is free, and he repents. Also, he is repented before she get there. He repents then to her and ask her now to marry him. And he, she can marry in the purity that she had when she met him. And he can accept her, having himself now repented of his state before the former state God now is, you know, when we come to him, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so now they are both pure before God. And the, the communion, that uh, union of oneness, is truly formed and the story ends beautifully. <laughs> the story ends beautifully. And I won't tell you the end because you might just want to read the book or watch the films. I don't want to do that. But that brings me now to the sixth chapter of Romans. And I'm going to read it. And I'm asking as I read, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, you know, I, I am not prepared to interpret this tonight except in, my, in myself what I know you have done, that's the best that I can give this evening or ever, really. My relationship with you has everything to do with what I can share with others. But I ask you to go beyond my, you know, uh, what is stammering tongue here. Go beyond my disconnected thoughts. Go beyond my inadequacy. Go beyond my, you know, failing memory. Go beyond all the flaws here that when I read your perfect anointed word, those who hear will also hear the spirit and the revealing of what you want each of us to take tonight. I thank you, Lord, because I know you can do it. I know it is also your will that we understand your word. And so I thank you right now for the outcome in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It is also, I want to preface this by saying that I did not come. I am not a person to condemn anyone. There is no accusation. But as we look into God's word, as we ourselves are being purified, justified, we want to see his way and his truth. And we want to be grateful for the cleansing of our lives through repentance and salvation. And we want to be able to live the rest of our lives in the knowing that he's revealed and to share to others as we go. So chapter six says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. I'm going to stop there because this verse, of course, follows the last verse of chapter five or the last discussion. And Paul really is writing this to tell them that you are a new creation. You really are. And through the death, burial of Jesus Christ, you now are empowered to live free from sin, though you are 
in the grace of God. You have been saved by grace. And he's explained everything that has taken place in Adam and how all have died. And he has established who Jesus Christ is from the first verse of the first chapter. So it's a, it's a, it's a, a, you know, a soothing and a beauty that he brings us to understand. Also bringing us to understand that if we are transformed, if we are the new creation, if we are the new humanity, and now through the death of, or the life of Christ, we now are, are different. We are not the old people. He is going to check us so that we don't get it, as the kids say, twisted. This liberty that you've gotten, this grace that you have received is not to be misused, right? So he says, shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound because grace is here. Grace is on you and grace is on me. But where I know to do right, I must do right. I must let right work in me. And then I will not choose the other way. So he says, God forbid you don't continue in sin. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Because he's now said that I reckon myself to be dead, right? In that I died with Christ and alive I live in Christ, right? And Christ made no mistakes like these things that we can make mistakes in choosing. Know uh, you not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. You see? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So you you died in him. You died. But then you were raised in him as well. But now the raising, that new life that you've gotten, that's new. That's different. That's not what it was. So you are. He is informing us of the change. He's making us aware that something very profound Something very mysterious has taken place. And if you know it, you might submit yourself to it. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness uh, be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. He's made the case that because Adam, in Adam, all died because Adam chose sin, that nature was on every child born thereafter because that is the original original uh, human being that is the first uh, uh, through whom we have our birth you know, our nature is coming from that. He says now, though, that we should not serve sin anymore. Before rebirth, we're serving sin, totally serving sin. But in rebirth, in salvation, we are empowered to serve sin no more. For he that is dead is free from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him, no more power over you, nor me. For in that he died, he died unto sin one time, <laughs> but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now, I told you before, and I'm glad I learned it myself, 
the to lust is not just that's not just a a sin of intimacy. It isn't just sexual. The lust of the uh, flesh is so much more than that. The lust of the eye makes it even more. Uh, it's so compounded, right? And the pride of life. These are the components that make up this body of death in which we live and that thing called sin that we serve because we are that what my old pastor's wife used to say, we look like we've been hit with a Mack truck. We're that smashed up. We're that ill. We are that wrong. We are in conformity to that which is at enmity with God. So we're being told, don't let sin Therefore, reign in your mortal body. And as we uh, watched Jane in the, you know, in Anna's expose, or if you've seen the film or if you've read the book, she battles to not yield to that temptation which would have caused her once again to serve sin. And she cries out, I will cut off my right hand. If your right hand offends you, so says Jesus Christ, cut it off. It's better to be maimed in this life than to lose eternal life. Right? We do not serve, serve sin anymore. And he says, reckon yourself to be dead to sin. That reckoning is, I'm, I'm dead I'm not, you know, I'm alive in Christ, but I'm dead to that former thing that had me entrapped. Neither, he says in verse 13, yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now that is a practice. Yield yourself as an instrument, right? When we dance, Sharice, anybody out there, light touch, if you've had an experience in an art form, what you are doing there is yielding yourself as the instrument of the choreographer, and it could be you, the choreographer, you know, or you're yielding yourself as the instrument of a director who has you playing an instrument, you give in to whatever the director or the choreographer or the brush, you know, the artist brush is creating. You become the instrument. And that's what we're doing in God. Let him paint the picture using you as the brush. Let him create the movement using you as the dancer. Let him write the song using your voice to deliver it. Let him be the one to whom you yield yourself, not to sin. We yield ourselves not to sin. as instruments of unrighteousness. But we yield ourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and our members as instruments of righteousness unto God. He wants to do a righteous thing over here. I'm going to use you, Owusu. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Let me, let me put him over there. I'm going to do a righteous thing. Let me use light touch over here. I'm going to do these righteous things through my recreation. Those reborn and those who have been empowered, by the way, to do this. We have received the life of God. For, you, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. 
what then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. He says it again. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Look in the world today and we see a constant yielding to sin. It is like our societal way, the constancy. The standards are buried under the trends and therefore we are just yielding ourselves as instruments of sin. May the Lord have mercy on us. How long will he endure it? It is that the Israelites went into a land that we said was flowing with milk and honey. It was a blessed land. And when they went in, the Lord told them, you're not going in because you are good. You're going in because the people who are there were so very bad that the land is rejected them. I am rejecting them. And he gave it to Israel. But they also were emitted from it. Because God does not fellowship with that darkness. He is light. He is righteousness and he does not fellowship with sin. Now, grace keeps us because we are not perfect, but we walk not after the flesh. We walk after the spirit, as is later written in Romans 8, 28, I think. Uh, there's not, no, 8, 1, I'm sorry, therefore, no condemnation. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what Anna brought forth in the progression of the salvation of these two people. They were now transformed from that old person and they have been delivered to new life through and by the grace. And we can thank God that he has done this in us, that we have moved from, I don't know about you and your salvation, right? And that's a terrible thing. I don't know about you and yours. I just know about mine, though, really. And I know that I was a slave to sin. I know that I did not know how. And let me tell you, when I was going through this, I was in Christ Jesus. I have a many a person in my family who will attest to the fact that I went to church uh, almost every Sunday. I never missed church. It was almost like a, you know, a clock in me. I could have been up very late and still got up to go to church. And yet, I was enslaved until God took over. And by his mercy, through and by the mercy of God, in my desperation, he drew me into himself. That's grace. That was grace. Because I didn't know what I was doing, but God knew what he needed to do to heal me and to deliver me. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, servants, to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. See, it becomes like almost simplistic, right? If and I tell people, <clears throat> I used to, when I was still uh, moving, you know, in worship and I worked with a group of people or anything I was doing, whether it was me moving or, you know, just talking to a group or whatever, I would say, I will never, never not give God at least as much as I gave the world when I was out there trying to do what I was trying to do. 
I shall always give him my best if I can. Because when I was a slave to that world, I gave it my best as best I could. Trooping around and playing on the little instrument and going, you know, late nights, almost flunking out of school to do a, a performance at some place. It was crazy. What it is, what we will do for the trinkets of the world. And then come to God and think that we just can be as slack as we want to be. And maybe you can, I don't know. But that was my, um, what is it? What is it? My declaration to myself. I will always, I will always, as best I can, give him my all. He that's thank you, Sharice. He deserves it, right? For what he's done. Just what we read already. In that I was a slave to sin. By his grace, he brought me out and made me a slave to righteousness. Righteousness is such a wonderful, freeing, beautiful. Uh, life-giving experience, you're just so grateful I am to be free and to not have to live under the slavery, the entrapment of the constancy of sin. For, in verse 20, when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Yeah, no righteousness in you. I don't care how good you thought you were. No righteousness when you're the slave to sin. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? That's what sin does. It makes you ashamed. It made me ashamed. So much so that there was a time when I wanted to die. From the shame of it all. Shame. Guilt. Just balled up in it. Not knowing how to unravel all that you put around yourself that brings these horrible feelings to you. For the end of those things is death, see? And that's how Satan will indeed, as the young people say, hook you up. Because it looks good from the beginning. It feels good in the beginning. But it ends up an entrapment. It ends up with a consequence that we do not want to live out. May God be praised. But now being made free from sin and become servants of God, you have your fruit unto holiness. And the end is everlasting life. And then Jesus said that I came that you may have life and have that more abundantly. Okay, so life now while you're walking, living life now, but the abundance of it. Many people say that has to do with prosperity. I say that that has to do with eternity, an abundance of life, freedom from the enslavement to sin, freedom from the uh, sense of guilt and shame, freedom from being unable to break that thing over you that you can't sometimes even know what it is. Freedom to see yourself when you are out of order. Freedom to know that you have made the sin mistake. Freedom to repent and receive from God forgiveness that does not make a shame. Forgiveness that erases it from east, as far as the east is from the west, so saith the psalmist. Freedom, beauty, life abundantly. The hope that tells me that I shall one day live in a world that is purified where there is no sin, no sorrow, no death, no sickness, no tensions, no conflicts, no destruction, but joy everlasting in the presence of Almighty God. For the wages of sin is death, as God so pronounced it in, in the beginning there in the garden. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that is what is so beautifully portrayed in the story of Jane Eyre, this novel by Charlotte Bronte. As we watch Jane from childhood endure 
rejection and mistreatment and being unloved by those who should have loved her. And watch Jane move into a state of what she never thought she would have to live as one of the common people out of the environment where there was plenty and affluence. Just a lowly person. Oh God, make it so. Make us able, even joyous, even happy, to be counted as the lowly. For you came for those who were able to recognize their need, which puts us all on the same ground with our noses in the dust. We are none of us better than the other because of birth or money or status or any of that. We are needy people who need healing, each and every one, for the Bible says, no, not one sought the Lord. We did not go after him. That's not what we were looking for. And it was not our fault. We're born in sin, shaped in an iniquity that we cannot undo. It is by the hand of Almighty God. And so we watched Jane become, over the years of her life, through the influence of those who knew him, those who were kind, those who, in their sufferings, passed on, out of life. Her good friend died, right? Jane is being formed by the hand of God. And then Jane's beautiful reborn self, that commitment that she walked in, influences a man who was very needy. He found in her a, an equal companion, someone with whom he could share, talk, laugh, be someone who made him want to be alive and better than he was, to live free of the burden that he was bearing. And when he reached for it in a wrong way, Jane's strength gave way for God to reshape and, and recreate the man through even more suffering. We should not run from our sufferings because it is there that it is written in the book of Peter. After you've suffered a while, you will be established, right? Strengthened. Let our Father do in us what he needs to do because he promised that he would make us fit for the kingdom of God in eternity. It is written, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let us yield ourselves to him as we see the picture presented in this novel. I think one of the greatest novels for any Christian to ever read, and I think it's one of the greatest novels ever written. And remember, great things in this world are touted when they trend in with whatever is going on, right? Sometimes, but this novel holds fast to the principles and the rigor of Christian, Christian life, a, a reborn life, a life that is given over in submission to God. And it is beautiful when you look at it. And the outcome was exactly what Jane and Rochester were looking for. That's all I can say tonight about this lovely uh, novel. That is what I bring forth. That is my offering. I pray to God that it has made sense <laughs> and that Anna will come and put the icing on the cake or she will say, well, this batter is not really good. We need to get rid of it, right? And start over again. But that is my thought. God deserves all our gifts. Yes, yes, yes. God deserves 
all listen from me me uh, i can talk about me i give him all that i can give him because he is so worthy he has been so wonderful in my own life and i am so grateful and i check myself to make sure that my words are are true it's easy enough when you've gone to church all your life to say these wonderful little, you know, cliche words out there. But I ask the Lord to deliver me from any such pretense. It's either real or it's not. And he has been really real to me. And I thank God that he's willing to be really real <laughs> to anyone. And if you are listening tonight and have yet to know him fully. Many people come in, right? And I think they have a preconceived idea that God is going to make their lives wonderful and he will. But their their definition of wonderful is very different than his definition of wonderful. And to understand it, you must seek him. You really must. And I'm going to say also that if you run to seek fame, fortune, whatever, you know, we do all this stuff. We get up, we go to work even when we're tired or we you pull ourselves out to the party, even if it's a place where we know we're going to meet with havoc and chaos. We do all this to please ourselves, to really, really fulfill the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and the lust of the eye. We do that. And so we won't take time to really look out into the vastness of the creation in every new day to see the power of God at work and then to question, who are you? Where are you? How do I meet you? And let him respond because you see the word says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, which means if you ask, you will surely receive. That's what is written. Jesus Christ said, knock and it shall be given. Ask, uh, ask and it shall be given. Knock and the door shall be open unto you. Seek and you shall find. Again, it is written, if you Seek me with all your heart. You shall surely find me. That is what he writes. And I believe God. I believe him. Why? Because, you see, I am the recipient of those promises. And I pray that you too will come to know him. And that you will let the earthly arrogance, that way the mind can play, you know, against the things that are good. Your mind will talk to you. You think it's you talking to you. It's not. It's the imposition of evil that is talking. And we allow it because we don't know that that's what it is. But you renounce that part of your mind that wants to always kick God to the curb. And you say, I will not until I have done a full investigation. And then if you don't come, you don't come. But nobody can make that decision for you. We who have already made that decision simply are the witnesses of the truth that is written and recorded here. And as best we can, we will answer any questions that you have, but ultimately God will answer all of them to your satisfaction. I may not be able to do that, but he most certainly is. And I wish you Jesus, oh, more than anything in the world, I pray that everyone will come to know him first in the pardon of your sins to relieve you of guilt, pain, from past whatever sins, you know, and that then you will enter into his joy. And uh, like Jane, like Rochester, progress towards the salvation that he has wrought through Jesus Christ, his death for your sins and your redemption, his burial to prove his death <laughs> and to go down, the word says, to preach to the to others, those sinners, I guess, who had gone before, I don't know, that's deep for me. 
and then to conquer death by being raised again by the power of God for eternal life to be also a gift that we receive. Oh, for me, the table beautifully set by God, as always, and um, God's mercy is on those of us who were not as obedient as the character. I'm the girl. You're thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm there. I'm really thankful. Thank you, Jesus. And that's what we see when we read Jane Eyre. We see how it could have been, right? But for, um, well, Jane went through her stuff, too. <laughs> she really did have to also learn. Mm. But there is now, therefore, no condemnation to them who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And when we come to him, that's what we're doing. And isn't it also good to know that he remembers those sins no more? He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have God separated your sins from his, himself. It, it's gone for God. Every day new, right? Every day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah most wonderful. I love uh, Walter Hawkins' song. I'm not a heavy gospel listener, but that song, every time I hear it, I'm grateful. What a wonderful thing he has done. What a wonderful, wonderful thing he has done and will do for anyone who asks. He will do it. He will do it. May he be praised. Once again, the table has been just beautifully filled with those things that are just nourishing to the body, right? Nourishing to the spirit. I do beg your forgiveness. Nourishing to the body. Delectable, set and prepared by God and God alone. And we come to the table and he feeds us. We're so grateful. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for pulling it all together in me, for me, and that you did a great thing for the listeners. I do pray and give you thanks in the name of Jesus Christ. We shall meet again, my dearest, if we come on Wednesdays at 8 o'clock. This is Rehoboth Institute of the Arts. Thank you so much for joining me. This episode will be uploaded to the episode list. And if you want to hear it again, of course you might. But really remember, <laughs> I was just the pinch hitter. Anna will be back to wrap it up for us. God willing, next week, we pray for her strength. We pray that the Lord will get her through this very tough time uh, at school and all that she has to do with her children. We ask the Lord's grace and mercy on everyone who has attended and his protection. Father, you are the great I am. You are the captain of the host. You command the angelic host that encamps around about those who fear you. Thank you for that, my Lord. We do offer you our gratitude and we ask your mercies in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day, wherever you are in the world. And by his grace and power, I do pray that I meet you again in this very same place next week, 8 o'clock, Wednesday nights. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day, evening or night. I'll see you now. Bye.